Well, good morning, New City Church. Really glad to be with you. Um, if you were here last week, I was supposed to preach, and then I couldn't talk. I lost my voice, so I got a hold of Chuck Sunday morning, and he preached a sermon, and it was awesome. I really appreciate that. Now he's off in Peru, and I'm all on my own. So I, I can talk now, um, but I haven't. I, there were like two or three days where I almost didn't say a word. So I have a lot to say, just to warn you. I've been, I've been stewing at home, making PowerPoint slides and everything. So it's really good to be back. I, one of my favorite things to do is teach the Word of God. So I, I, it's, it was, I really didn't like that I wasn't able to do it last week, and it's a joy to be here with you this week. So welcome. Um, uh, before we begin, we're in a, in a series called Enemies and Allies, talking about your spiritual enemies, the forces that are conspiring against you to make you sin and to pull you away from God, and what are the allies, the resources, the things God's given us to counter them. Um, just two book recommendations. I mentioned this at the beginning of the series, but The Screwtape Letters and Live No Lies, um, two books I read to help me for this series. It's the last time I'll mention them, but if you're interested in, in this idea, spiritual warfare, the idea that we're being, not only are we being lied to, but we might be living out those lies as if they were true. These are both excellent books for you if you're looking for uh, something in your January reading list. Um, so today we're going to talk about our enemy Satan. And so since this is a sermon on Satan, I thought I would start with a story about Hitler. So um, just to wake up a little bit. So we're starting with Hitler right off the bat. It's Hitler. Uh, okay, so it's 1943 and Hitler has conquered much of Europe and he knows that the allied forces are going to attack. So he's got to prepare for, for the eventual time where the Allied forces are going to land and try to uh, counter what he's been doing in Europe. And if you just looked at a map, obviously the, the body on your right is Europe and up, up at the left is Great Britain. You see London there. If you looked on a map, geography would tell you the most likely place the Allies were going to hit was this uh, French beach uh, near the city of Calais. And so that's, that's, that's what logic would tell you, but this is war and it's complicated. But as Hitler, uh, as the year goes on, 1943, Hitler starts getting some intel. He has spies in the British government and they are telling them there's going to be a huge invasion at the beach at Calais. And he, gets, he has photo evidence that in southeast uh, Great Britain, uh, south of London, they are building up an army. There are tanks right at the point where we think they're going to cross. And it makes sense right there. It's the least amount of water you got to cross, and it's, it's closest to Germany uh, for the invasion. So um, uh, he, he, he gets more and more information. There's radio leaks, um, and he even knows which unit. It's the first U.S. Army group is going to strike at the beaches at Calais. So he's got all this intelligence. And so what does he do? Like, like anybody would, he puts a bunch of his forces right around there, uh, uh, sends a lot of, of resources and manpower to the beaches of Calais. And you know what happened. D-Day, 1944, hits, and the infamous storming of the beaches of Calais. You've never heard of that, have you? No. I bet you've heard of the beaches of Normandy, though. That's 250 miles away from Calais. And that's where the actual attack happened. And so there were forces there, as you remember, that, that day was no picnic for the people that stormed uh, the European beach. But Hitler had far more resources over in this beach that never saw really any true conflict. And he actually kept them there for weeks thinking, the attack's coming, I have good information. Well, what happened was 
um, he actually got bad information. The spies that he got information from had double-crossed him. They were double agents. So they were supposed to be spies, but then the, the Brits got a hold of them, and then they were sending forth American lies. It was an operation called Operation Bodyguard. So for, for, for over a year, they were sending misinformation out through the spies. And those pictures of the tanks that he saw in southeast England were inflatables or made of boards or cardboard. So, so here are the Nazis accumulating all of this information. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. And it was this whole uh, misinformation campaign led by the Allies to misdirect. They were actually building up army, armies all over in little pockets around Great Britain. But the big fake one was, was in, in the southeast. And so Hitler was totally duped. The beach was stormed. The American and allied forces got their beachhead, and you know what happens with the rest of the story. So I tell you this because we're talking about lies. And you might say that a lie in and of itself is not totally dangerous. Um, um, John Mark Comer uses this illustration. If I tell you Elvis is alive, you, you might say, okay. And then you go home and you just live your life, right? That, that, that lie doesn't hurt you. When a lie really hurts you is when you act as if it's true. Nobody was coming to Calais, but Hitler thought it was true. He believed it. And not only did he believe the lie, he acted as if it were true. And so that led to the downfall of, of his forces in World War II. The enemy's tactic is always using lies, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. So today, we're going to look at where do those deceptive ideas come from? They got to come from somewhere. Where is this big misinformation campaign coming from? And so we, we looked at this graphic last week. These are our three enemies versus our three allies. So this week, we're going to talk about the devil versus what God has given us to counteract what the devil does, which is his word, the word of God, the Bible. And so we're going to be looking in John uh, chapter 8 for our scripture today. If you want to turn to John 8, we'll be there. We're going to look at it in just the three ways. Num num number one, uh, I want to introduce you to the father of lies. Jesus essentially does this with his disciples in this passage. So in the first place, I just want to introduce you to Satan, introduce you to the father of lies. Number two, I want to share with you a few of his signature tactics. How can you tell his work? What are some of the markings of Satan? How can we know? So his father of lies, signature tactics, and then thirdly, obviously, we're going to talk about his fatal weakness. So let's pray, and we'll begin in John 8. I'll start in verse 37. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the morning. Um, thank you, thank you, God, that you do warn us again and again that we are being misled and lied to. Um, but if, if, if we don't know the truth and if we just keep living the lies, um, Lord, we know that we will perish. So we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know that when we go to you, when we hear the words of Christ, when we read the words of the Bible, we know for sure, at least here, we're getting truth. Um, so God, I pray that you would help us not only to just know that, but to use it to let the word reside in our hearts that we might not believe the lies that are being thrown at us. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 8, and I'll start in verse 37. We're jumping in the middle of a story, but this is Jesus and the Pharisees interacting here. John eight thirty-seven. I know, Jesus said, that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. 
They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so let me briefly introduce you to Satan. There's enough in your Bible that we could spend weeks just talk, doing an overview of all the passages that talk about him. We don't, we're not gonna, that's not our aim today, but Jesus actually does us a solid here in this passage. He gives what I would say is probably the most concise, brief biography of Satan in all the Bible. If you need to know just the bullet point, Jesus gives it to his disciples after this discourse. He says, you're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you know a little bit of the biblical background, you know that Satan was one of the angels that God created actually, one of the most, the most beautiful angel he ever created. But Satan did not want to live a life of worshiping somebody else, having somebody superior to him. So he tried to overthrow God in this story that we just get whispers of in the Bible. We don't get the full narrative account. But if you piece it together, something like this happened. It was a rebellion in heaven. And not only was Satan cast down to earth, but he was cast down with about a third of the angels. Innumerable, the Bible says. So you might think the story goes, Satan fought against God and God sent him down to hell, to reign in hell. Well, that's not exactly true. You're, you're getting ahead of the story a little bit. He sent him down to earth. And so our passage two weeks ago called him the kingdom of the air. He's also called the king of the earth in, in your Bible. So this is actually his domain. His future someday will be in that fiery place that you might know about. But right now, he's here. He is, this, is, this is the area that he operates in. And so he calls him the father of lies because Satan is the one who invented lying. He invented sin. Those were, those were his ideas. He invented rebellion and pride original with Satan. So I, as I was studying for this series and I had an extra week to do it, I'm just listening to, uh, to sermons and people teach on this. You wanna know the most remarkable thing I found when, when I was just listening to other people preach on the devil? The first point in everybody's sermon that I listened to is just saying that he plain exists. I think that's interesting that we have to do that. That's, that's the first point in contemporary culture is Satan is real. 
He exists, he really is real. And there's biblical proofs for that. Obviously, Jesus is testifying to it here. There's apologetic reasons, but I, I sort of want to more appeal to you based on his work. I'm going to share today some of the things that he does, and I think you're going to recognize the works of the devil. So the actual, the first one that we're going to be dealing in a lot of lies and truths here in this series, the first lie that we often combat is that some, a lot of people just don't even plumb believe he exists. If you take a poll in America, they've done this several times over the last two decades, how many, what percentage of Americans believe in God and what percentage of Americans believe in the devil? The difference is about 15 to 20 percentage points. More believe in God and less in the devil. So you've already got a huge swath there that have bought this lie. Satan's work is done almost, almost immediately. They don't even think he's real. Now, there might be some of you uh, that, that, that are there, but I would suspect that there's more that believe this lie, that the devil is only technically true. Yes, if I twisted your arm, you would have to confess. Yes, the Bible says it. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Yes, there is a devil. But it doesn't have anything to do with your real life. And you don't give him any thought, and he occupies no space in your mind. I would, and this is, this is me sometimes, I would liken my relationship with the devil to my relationship with Antarctica. Do I believe Antarctica exists? Yes, I do. How often is my day affected by Antarctica? Very little. How much can I tell you about it? A few things. I think penguins are from there and polar bears are from the north. Did I get that right? I think that's, I think, but I'm not, it has nothing to do with my real life. It's just, yeah, it exists. Okay, I'll concede the fact and it doesn't go any further than there. I suspect that that second lie that Satan is only technically real, I suspect many of us have already fallen for that, which is like, yeah, he exists. Dum-de-dum, -dum. we just go on with our lives as if, as if he was Antarctica. He may as well not exist. But I, again, I had a lot of time, so I did this little project for you too. I went through every book in the New Testament, not cover to cover, but I went through and I, and I was looking for not just warnings about you, need to, you shouldn't sin and you need to follow Jesus, but, but warnings about this particular, uh, this particular danger that we're in, the danger of being lied to. And I found in all 27 books in the New Testament, only two of them, and they're the little ones, uh, Philemon and John 3, uh, 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 3 John, I mean, are the only ones that don't warn us in some fashion that we're being pursued and lied to and attacked. See that no one leads you astray. Jesus says that often. You're the father, you are of your father, the father of lies. Satan filled your heart to, to, to lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Don't be deceived, uh, neither the sexually immoral, etc., etc. Your thoughts will lead you astray. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Satan is now at work in those who are disobedient. Many walk as enemies of the cross, and their glory is in their shame. I say this in order that no one may delude you. People will say there's peace, but then there's sudden destruction. Let no one deceive you in any way. Elders must not fall into disgrace because that's the snare of the devil. Evil people will be deceiving and being deceived. We were once foolish, disobedient, being led astray. Who's leading us? Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do not be deceived. The flesh wages war against your soul. Take care that you're not carried away. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Certain people have crept in. They pervert the grace of God. And then, oh, by the way, in the end of Revelation, right before Satan is cast into the fiery lake, after Jesus has reigned on earth for 1,000 years, Satan comes back and he's, he's unchained, unbound for a time. And what does he do? He deceives the nations that are at the four corners of the earth and he gathers them to for battle. How successful will that campaign be? 
Their number is like the sand of the sea. So here's the truth. You may not believe in Satan at all. You may only technically believe in him. But if the Bible is God's word, on almost every page of the New Testament, it's saying, be careful, not just don't sin. Be careful. Someone is trying to lure you. Someone is trying to lead you astray. So the devil, my first point here is the devil is, is real and he's personal and he's the source of all lies. He's really real. Like, like you and I are real. Like, so you're a real person, right? You, you had a, a week last week. Was it a good week? Did you get stuff done? Satan had the same thing. He had a week last week. He had some things he meant to do. He had some things he wanted to do in your life. Some of them worked, some of them different. Some of them didn't work. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna do what you're gonna do this week. Well, I'll just try some new things this week and I'll try to fix what I did bad last week. Like, that's, that's really how it is. Except you sleep and, and you're, you're out of it sometimes. Like, Satan works around the clock. So this is our problem. It's that we are, we are uh, constantly being deceived by somebody who means to do us harm. And you can go, you fall into one of two errors here. You can sort of uh, underestimate him, which I've talked about. Don't believe in him. Don't think about him. Or you could overestimate him. You can just be in despair. But that's why God has given us the truth and why he's given us an ally here. Remember, the lie is only harmful if you believe it, if you live like it's true. Hitler could have let those, those telegrams just pass from his desk. He didn't have to believe it, but he believed it and he acted like it was true. And it ended up in his destruction. Satan does the same thing. All he can do is lie to you. He can't make you believe it. So that's the first, that's, that's our introduction Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. That's the devil. He's real, he's personal, and he's out to get you. Now, what are his signature tactics? What does his work look like? And this is where I want us to just get a little bit smarter. You know, this is, I, I went to film school. If you're watching a movie from the, from the early 90s, and it's kind of gothic looking, and it's black and white, and Johnny Depp's in it, the director of that movie is Tim Burton, right? <laughs> he has a signature. His, thank you, I knew Mike, I knew if anybody, Mike would get that. He has a signature. His movies just kind of look similar. And it'd be the same if you're into uh, Picasso or, or Michelangelo, right? When we study these artists, they have a look and a way about them. Satan's no different. We can tell what his activities are. So let's, let's go back to our passage in John 8. I want to show you this. So there's this, the, the, the conflict comes about because there's this little back and forth. And you notice they're, they're debating on 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 patronage, who is their father, right? And Jesus, three or four times in the passage, keeps telling them, I think you got the wrong dad. I, I, I'm not recognizing the works of my father. I see another artist at work here. So a couple of times he says, I speak of what I've seen from my father, uh, and you do what you've heard from your father. You're doing the works your father did. And then in 44, he drops the hammer. Who is our father? It's, it's Abraham. It's God, isn't it? No, your, your father is the devil. And Jesus is, of anybody, is the best at diagnosing when is Satan at work. He's the best at recognizing his, his, his style. And the first thing he says about him is, there is no truth in him when he lies. He speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you go back from that verse, between that verse and this, this bottom verse at 44, one of the, two of the signature moves of Satan are murder and lies, okay? These are, these are two things that we recognize the works of Satan. So you might not encounter actual physical murder in your everyday life, but that is one of his, the hallmarks of Satan. His main goal, his objective is destruction, 
He doesn't, he, the only thing he ever created were, was deceit and sin and lies. He's never created a good thing. That's a, that's a part in screw tape letters. The demon is advising his, his student and he's saying, remember, whenever you're dealing with a pleasure, something that's good, like, like um, taste or smell or, or your senses, that that's actually, uh, you're on the enemy's turf. That's the father's. God made those things. The devil never made any real pleasures. He only perverts the things that God has done. And he does that until he leads the person astray to the point of death, right? If you think about the miracles of Jesus when he's healing people who are possessed and that sort of thing, what are some of their symptoms? Do you remember the demoniac? Do you remember what, uh, uh, the demoniac at Gadara who would often grab stones and scratch himself with them? He would, he would, he would scar himself with stones? Or do you remember the, the little boy that was demon-possessed? What did his dad say? He will often throw himself into the fire, that's, the, that's a signature move right there. Destruction, self-destruction, things that are bad for you, things that will, will, will eventually rot your soul, make you crumble. That is Satan's move. And in this story, the Pharisees are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus to murder him. So he's, he, Jesus sees this and he says it again and again. I'm trying to tell you the truth and you're murdering me. I know who your dad is. You look just like your dad. Your dad does this. Your dad destroys and diminishes. So that, he does this in a great way in the life of Christ, but even think in, in, in small ways in your life, the way that you talk. Do you know somebody, or is this you, where they really only tear down with their words? They never, they never bring anything beautiful or build anything up. It's really mostly destruction, it's tearing down, or, or maybe in their actions, the things that they do. It's mostly destructive, self-destructive or other, otherwise. Signature move. That's Satan. That's Satan who has got somebody believing a lie and living like uh, it's true. We can go all through the Bible and see this signature move uh, for him. But I want to talk more uh, about the second, the second thing that he does, which is lie. His ultimate objective is destruction, but he lies to get us there. And uh, as I was thinking about this, um, the, the, the analogy I thought of uh, was, was actually with colors. Um, Gina's, Gina is painting a room in our house. It's a different color. And I, I made the cardinal sin of, she, she, she asked me to say what I thought of the color. So, so, this, so th- this right here are the colors that men know. It, the room is either red or it's green. Or if they're being polite, they'll throw in light green that's as, or dark green. That's as diverse. But I knew that she was looking for more. So I went up and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a smoky olive color, I would say. And she's like, oh, no, not olive. And I, I, oh, I can't win. I don't know. Anyways, so uh, here, here's the analogy I want to give you. Uh, if you're painting your room, a room in your house or, or your house itself, how many of you would use one of these colors, like a color, like a crayon color? Probably Austin would. <laughs> you have a yellow house, yeah, yeah. But most of us, most of us would actually venture down the aisle and look for gradients, wouldn't we? There's some people that are just bold and splashy. They have red houses or blue houses. But I would say the trend now in rooms or houses or, or even cars, you could say, is not, not, a, not, a, not a really loud like primary color, but more of a gradient. So um, you, you, would, you probably wouldn't paint a room blue, but you might paint it Ocean Boulevard. Um, <laughs> You probably wouldn't paint a room yellow, but you may paint it roasted corn. You get the idea, right? Somebody got paid a bunch of money to sit in a room and think of really fancy color names, right? Okay, now I want you to, oh, my, my W went down. Okay, I want you to translate that into sin. 
the sin of greed, right? What I'm trying to illustrate here is I think sometimes we're only working with the box of crayons that's got about eight crayons in it. When we think of greed, or when we read it in the Bible, we think of, we think of cartoonish greed. Mr. Burns from The Simpsons is greedy. He's just a millionaire who, who releases the hounds and always wants more and more money, and his life is about the money. Now, there are some people who are green, regular, plain, green, greedy. There are people like that. They're, you know, they're influencers, and they're on Wall Street, right? But this is where I want to teach you a little bit about how our enemy works. This... Uh, uh, Instead of, we might look at that sin and say, oh, oh, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm not, I'm not a greedy person. We say things like, I'm not greedy. I, I just um, don't want limits on my spending, right? I, I, I'm not a greedy money person. I just need to be able to spend money the way that I want to and be comfortable and then I'm happy. Well, that's, ladies, <laughs> this is a man talking, that's still green. You know, do, you know what I'm, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at here? It's a shade. We got to the color in a little bit different way, right? We, we maybe uh, didn't put so much saturation in there, added a little bit more white, but it's still green. I'm not greedy. I just know the good stuff. I'm a connoisseur. I have, a, I have good tastes in this particular area, right? So I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. Uh, I'm just a good saver, right? Now, I'm not saying any of these things in and of themselves have to always be sin, but this is how the enemy works. He gets you thinking with the little box of crayons, and he's working with the whole set. Oh, fine, fine. You're not one of those millionaire Wall Street greedy persons. How can he make you greedy right here and now in Ankeny, Iowa? Hum- little old humble you. You see how that sin kind of sneaks in, and we believe the lie that it hasn't, that we're not? Let's take another one. Sorry, my, my letters are all off. Critical. All references are from the 90s, and I'm not apologizing for it. Everyone. Tim Burton, the, the church lady from SNL. So you young kids, this was, the, this was a skit on SNL, and she's just critical of everything. Well, isn't that special, she would always say. Everybody's doing wrong, and she's got her fingers in everybody's business, right? This is a sin. We shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't always be sitting in judgment on other people. Well, what do we do? What does Satan have us believing? We're not orange, I'm not critical, I'm just trying to help. That's really all I'm doing. I'm just trying to help by always telling you what's wrong with you. (laughs) Still orange, it's still orange, but you fell for it, didn't you? Oh, no, I'm not not one of those. I'm just, uh, I'm I'm not critical, I just have high expectations, oh my. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to have offended your high expectations, right? Or a version of this is I'm a perfectionist, right? Same thing. For, for some reason, you in your disposition have gotten to be, you get a pass on being critical. You get to tear other people down and, 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 and the rest of us don't. I'm not critical. I just have the gift of discernment. This one is my favorite. This is Christianese, right? Whenever I ask, I'm not lying. Whenever I ask people what their gifts are, if if you're not familiar, there's a couple sections in the Bible that say the Holy Spirit, when when we become believers, gives us gifts, gives us things that we can use to help the church. And there's, depending on who's counting, there's 10 or 12 of them. Um, And if, when I ask Christians, what do you think your gift is? The one I hear the most is discernment, and the one I hear the least is evangelism. And I think, isn't that funny that God gave a ton of people the gift where you are critical of people, and he gave almost nobody the gift where you share good news and hope with people. 
I wonder why God did that. And then I think, wait a minute, did God do that? Did he do that? Or are we taking something, something that's bad, and we're actually believing, no, this is a good thing. Now, I'm not, I'm preaching to myself here. I I have shades of orange and red and everything, right? You got to understand, there is the real gift of discernment, but be careful, This is how he works. He's dealing with a bigger set of crayons than you think. That sin can creep in, even into the good stuff. Let me do one more. Again, we're sticking with the 90s. Gaston, I'm proud, right? Oh, no, I'm not proud. I'm I'm not one of those vain people who look at themselves in the mirror. Now, again, there are like red, proud people. There are those. Those are easy to spot, and and it's not difficult to, to, to see what Satan is doing in their lives. I'm not proud. I just don't like other people telling me what to do. (laughs) I'm not a proud person. Just nobody ever weigh in on anything that I do in my life. It's red. That color is red. I'm not proud. I just can't understand other people's shortcomings. Do you find yourself in that mental loop often? Like, I just can't understand why anybody would do that. I've got my problems, but I could never understand how somebody, what is that? Give me another word. It's pride. It's, it's, it's one of those old sins, and Satan's just dulled it up a little bit. He splashed a little bit of white or a little bit of dark in there, and he's, and he's repackaged it for you. I'm not proud. I just hold myself to a high standard, right? On and on. We could go on and on and on. I'm not lustful. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. I'm just a regular guy, right? I, I'm not a gossip. I'm just very concerned for the people that I'm always talking about. Do you see how he works? That's, that's his move. That's his move. And look, look, look at these sins. Look at the bottom ones of each one I've written, uh, uh, that I've kind of uh, mapped out here. I hold myself to a high standard. I have the gift of discernment. I am a good saver. Those sound like attributes. Those sound like compliments. And this is the last thing I want to talk about when we talk about Satan's signature move. So it's one thing to to lie to you and you believe it, right? Um, Some people know they're caught up. Some people know they're enslaved. Uh, People with addictions, and, and and they've been in it for a while. They know they're enslaved. Their problem is, how do I get out? Some people have... Uh, 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 an even worse problem, which is they've, they, they believe two lies. They believed the first lie, Satan's ensnared them, and then they believe the lie that they're not being lied to. It's the double agent thing. And so this is, his, this is his master move. It's not only to lie to you and get you to believe something and get you to sin, it's to actually then turn it on its head and get you to think that it's virtue. Like, think about it. If he could do that, If he could get you to think that the things you're doing, which are actually sinful, were good things, like noble things, things that God is working, then he'd he'd have you, right? And so he does this. He does it in our story, right? Who is talking with Jesus? It's Pharisees. It's religious people. And why are they talking with him? Because he's causing trouble. And it's their job to protect God's people. Well, we ought to kill him. Here you have grown men who've been double lied to. Not only are they murderers, but they think their murder is good. Classic Satan. Signature Satan. And that's, that's his move. And that's what we have to be aware of. So we're in trouble. What does Jesus say? In the passage is the solution. Three times he diagnoses the problem. Well, m- Three times when he talks about the word, multiple times, you're of your father, you look like it's somebody different than God. 
But listen to this. In verse 37, he says this. You seek to kill me. Why? Not because you're just wicked and evil and nasty people. It's because my word finds no place in you. My truth that is available is not in you. And then he says, why do you not understand what I say? I think this is the critical line of the whole story. It's because you can't bear to hear my word. Not only does it have no place in their lives, they don't want to hear it. And probably neither do we, right? Did you like when I was calling you greedy and proud (laughs) and critical? We don't like that. And so Jesus knows it. He knows he's telling them the truth and they hate it. And he's saying, you're not even leaving room for God's word. Why? Because you're, 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 you're coiled up in some other lie. Well, that can't, that can't be true because if that were true, that would make me a sinner. That would make me uh, fall short. And Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. And that's the gospel. The gospel is that even Pharisees, even people who, are, who by all accounts, by all worldly measures are doing the right thing, you are being duped. Not, not, just, not just a whoopsie-daisy uh, that, that you were mistaken and anybody it could have happened to anybody. He says, you are acting like your father. You, you will the same things that Satan does. And that's where we all start. And then here comes Jesus. And that's where I want to talk about Satan's fatal weakness. So he says, why are they deceived? When he says, your word has no place, you can't even bear to hear it. And then at the end, he gives us the button on the story. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason you don't hear them is that you are not of God. The children of God will listen to him. Do you remember, maybe you don't, do you remember how how the story of John 8 starts um, after, after the incident with the woman at the well? The whole story starts by Jesus saying this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then also a little bit later, this very famous verse comes up. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why did Jesus come? Why every week do I stand up here and plead with you, make him your savior, make him somebody in your life. He tells us why he came. In John 18, this is before Pilate, he says this, For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Or the opposite way, the other side of the coin, the other way you could say that is, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. New City, you're being lied to. More than you know. More than you think. Some of them you are still believing and you're still acting as if they were true. Jesus came to totally undo that. When Jesus comes, here you have somebody that no matter what they say, you know it's true. Jesus will tell you the truth. Jesus will tell you the truth. If you're being a murderer, he'll tell you you're being a murderer. And he does it. And he says he does that to set us free. He wants us to live true lives. He doesn't want us to live in falsehood. Remember, the only thing Satan can do is lie to you. He can't make you believe it, and he can't make you act like it's true. Maybe the best example of this is when Jesus was tempted in the desert. If you think about, this is such an important story. You can think about it in so many ways. Think about it like this. How much power does Jesus have at his disposal? 
when Satan comes to meet him. This is a true, this is a, this is a truth versus lies clash of the titans here. This is, this is cosmic warfare that happened out in that desert. Now in his flesh, he's weak. He hasn't eaten in a long time. He's in a desperate state physically. But how much power did Christ have at his disposal? This is the one who will eventually crush Satan. What could he have done to Satan while he was being attacked in the desert? In my imagination, all kinds of things. He could summon a big wind to blow Satan out of there, blow him away, right? He could, he could torture him somehow. I, I think Jesus had that, those powers at his disposal. What was the one thing he did? You remember, Bible verse. Bible verse, Bible verse. Three times Satan tempts him. And Jesus does not summon power from on high. He just, he just fights him with the truth. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes him a Bible verse. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Two more temptations. Two more verses. What's Jesus doing? There's a hundred things. But one of the things he's doing is this. You have an asset. You have an ally. All these lies, and they're, they're slippery, and they're, they're intricate, and they're difficult. You have the perfect counter to it. Three verses in, and Satan runs away. This is pointless. This is pointless. Every time I try to lead this person down a path, all he does is give me God's word. Eventually, Satan does give up, right? We can overestimate him, and we can underestimate him. All he can do is lie to you. Well, if I keep saying Elvis is alive, Elvis is alive till I'm red in the face, you, you're the ultimate judge of if that affects you at all, right? Jesus does the same thing. He uses the word of God to combat Satan. And so uh, as, we, as we close here, in this series, we're going to spend a little more time on the enemies than on the allies. I could preach many sermons on the word of God. But what I want to encourage you to do is this. I, I think that sometimes as, as Christians, if you, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, we can look at this book as, yes, it's true technically, but it's mostly just something I got to do or I ought to do. I should read my Bible today. Why? I don't know. It's just good for people, I guess. There's probably some really rich stuff and I'll just be enriched, right? We're very vague on the usefulness. But when you use the lens of spiritual warfare, you sort of get an idea as to how dire it is, how important this is. It's not just, yeah, that'd be good for you and maybe you'd shape up and, and be a better person. No, this is all you have to counteract the thousands and thousands of lies you're being fed. Some of them you're believing. Some of them you're believing right now and you've been believing them for years. You know what your only hope is? That God speaks to you through his word. So don't look at this book as just like, like a chore or something you ought to do. This is what God has given us to counteract Satan's work. Now there's other things that go into that. We're gonna talk about them in the coming weeks. He's given us the spirit so that we can read it and actually understand it. He's given us the church so that there's this community where ideally the thing we say most is not lies, but we're actually saying truths about God's word. Now there's all kinds of lies that go along with the Bible, and I don't know that we have time to go through all of them, but any barrier, any barrier that you find in your life to reading this word, look for the signature move. Look for the lie. Uh, I'm not really much of a reader. Okay? Is that a shade of color, a little bit different? I, if I read it, I won't be able to understand it. 
Do you have, you have no resources at your fingertips? I don't have time to read the Bible. Do you recognize these lies? Do you see what they do? They keep you in the lie and they keep you away from the truth. I'll close with this. We've looked at a lot of lies today. You know, in, insert yours here. I'm not greedy, I'm not proud, what, 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 whatever it is. I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna do this in small groups this week as part of one of the questions that you need to answer. Um, I'm gonna ask you though throughout the series, I want you to think of the lie or the two or three lies that you believe most. Not even believe, but that you live the most. You live as if these things are true and they really aren't. They really aren't true according to the word of God. And I want, I want you to do one other thing. Think, of, think, think about this, meditate on this. What are you believing that's not true? What are you living out that's not true? And then I want you to match it if you can, if you need help, find it. But I want you to match it if you can with a piece of scripture. And use that scripture to combat the lie. Cling to that scripture. Memorize it, repeat it. Read it over and over again. And then when you have free time, when you have quiet time, think about it. So John Mark Comer gave this example and I couldn't think of a better one. So if you are greedy, in some way that's unique and specific to you, so whatever your shade of green is. If greed is something you struggle with, here might be an example. Okay, so that's a lie. The lie is you need that thing. You need to buy that thing in order to be happy. You need this much security in order for you to function, right? Well, find a verse. Hebrews 13 says this, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We could spend a half hour thinking about all the things said in there. But he says, when, when he says, be content with what you have, that's the truth teller talking. You get lied to a whole lot. But if you go to this book, the truth teller will speak. And if, that, if you see that greed coming up in your life, combat it with the scripture. Be content with what you have. Well, yeah, but I really want this. Yeah, but God says to be content with what you have. And not only that, what, why, why will, where will your satisfaction come? Oh, by the way, he will be with you. Use the word of God, commit to it. And if you're a beginner or if you're new or if you've failed at this a hundred times, by all means, get help. It's the only weapon he's given us to combat the lies that Satan tells, but it also happens to be the only weapon we need. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. We are disheartened by the, just the amount of lies. That myself, God, the, the things that I, I even think of them as virtues and, and Satan can twist and pervert them and make them sin. So Lord, we're, we're, we're not, we all are not great at just being uh, in judgment of what's right and wrong and what's good. If it's just up to us to decide those things, I know we'll fail. I know we'll be deceived. So God, help us to just know your word, to turn to it, and also to cherish it, God. We don't want to just read the Bible and know it. You said that you would write your law on our hearts when we believed you, God. I pray that, that, that our relationship with the word would be that intimate, that we would know it so well, that we would be able to spot the works of Satan just like Jesus did in his ministry. But ultimately, God, we know that you are not just a collection of words or a book. You are a loving person that came down and died on the cross for us. And we thank you and we, we, we praise you and we put our faith in you because of it. Help us now to not be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen.